You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live for hour number two. My name is Tim Mosey, your host today, coming at you from the Fargo Studios, halfway between the railroad track and the cathedral. And Rachel is on the board as usual. Rachel, are you, like, here every show, pretty much? Yeah, pretty much. That's she could, They got a cot in the back. She just basically lives here, you know. <laughs> so having a great talk with Rachel before the show, and she's really into it. She's an EMT and uh, has a lot of great, real cool things that she's doing with it. Even gets to, uh, when the choppers land, right, the air flights, she gets to go out and, and help get the, the, the patients into the hospital sometimes, right? Yeah, she's nodding like, yeah. I, I, see, I did get that story straight. Sometimes I get confused, but I got that one straight. So again, big thanks to Rachel. And speaking of big thanks, boy, Max Devick. Uh, I just a great, great young man. I've I don't know him real well personally, but I know his family, and I've seen him quite a bit. Their family are great parishioners at St. Anthony's of Padua downtown. Their feast day today. Uh, always serving mass. Always wants to be at mass. Uh, God's given him a great gift for music and, and music that touches the heart. He sings from the heart. I, I love it. I've listened to some of the tracks. I like it. I think God has great plans for that young man. So uh, God bless you, Max, and wherever God leads you in this. Well, speaking of where God's leading, isn't it amazing how he just works in so many cool ways? We've got Mike Gormley on the line. Mike, welcome to Real Presence Hello. Live. So good to talk awesome. to you. Awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, great to be here. You bet. So, Mike, uh, I know you're a lay evangelist. We'll get we'll get into that in a little bit. But just just give our listeners a little background about growing up and how you got into the, the evangelization biz, as we say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my parents are super devout Catholics. My mom was the BRE of our little mission church, little Franciscan mission church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Uh, I've always been in love with the faith. And it's always been a big part of my life. Um, youth ministry was huge when I moved down to Texas and. Uh, I went to Franciscan University in Steubenville, the oh-so-lovely Steubenville, Ohio. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right on the and, Ohio River. I mean, it, it, I love how it's up on the hill, right? And if you go up to the end of the fence, it's like a 200-foot drop to the Ohio, right? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. City set on a hill. Yeah, yeah there you so, go. Uh, I love it. Is, is, is the big cross <laughs> yeah, still up there on the, on yeah, the top? It is the old Perfect. Cross. There we yeah. go. Good, good. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I'm at peace. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I majored in philosophy and theology, thought I was going to be a priest. Then I met my wife there, uh, and then uh, finished with graduate degrees there. But I'm always involved in the parish for, for 17 years. So since I graduated in 05, I've always been focused on parish ministry, parish life. Um, I was being a you know, speaker, retreat leader, things like that on the side, but I always felt like uh, I didn't want to be that guy that just does you know, his six or seven can talks and isn't doing the actual work of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And what I began to realize working with high school students, uh, principally, was, um, you know, they were never really given the faith, and uh, nor their parents, nor their parents' parents. Uh, they didn't, they weren't really given something that they could reject or something that they could build their lives upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catholicism was um, uh, some weak thing that's called a world religion instead of a way of life and a, and a way of receiving the love of God into their lives. And uh, the Bible meant nothing, you know, all of these things, you know, mm-hmm. they were they were weird artifacts. And so working with people and people from all sorts of backgrounds in my high school youth ministry days, things that come alive in their faith through retreats and weekly formation and Bible studies and 
men's and women's groups, you realize that no one approach is effective for everyone, that everyone's journey is absolutely unique, and that uh, the, the absolute centrality of the family in handing on the faith. So where the parents are faithless, uh, their kids will be, unless there's some uh, miracle of conversion. And then oftentimes I saw that when the kids become converted, not all the time, but probably around uh, three-quarters of the time, the parents get ignited mm-hmm. in their faith. Yep. And so uh, you begin to see this, uh, this this unity in the divine plan, this communion in the divine plan, where, you know, I don't send myself out, I'm sent out by the Church in order to bring people into the life of the Church. And so I've always looked at it from a theological and philosophical lens, um, but always towards the practical of how do I bring, how do I give a talk on the Eucharist that brings this skeptic, this atheistic, you know, quote-unquote Catholic kid, you know, he's baptized atheist, this, uh, this person who's, you know, struggling with this or that in their lives, how do I bring them through the stock of the Eucharist into uh, a living, vital relationship with Christ, you know? Um, and so that's where the fires kind of of evangelization was started in me. Yes, we're talking with Mike Gormley about uh, being a lay evangelist, and and, and I just love. Um, obviously, you've you've had a very good formation, Mike. I, I love what you just said right at the end. I mean, it, it, it was all good, but that living vital relationship. You know, maybe talk just a little bit about that because you sound like you're probably a little younger than I am. I'm I'm 61, and but one of the things that social media tends, I mean, it's, it's a great tool, right? You know, but don't let it rule, I always say. But one of the things that it's done is really interfered with deep interpersonal relationships. And many people just tend to relate on this very superficial level. And, and that can hurt us in a lot of ways, can't it? Yes. And the big problem with social media, I mean, uh, I want to say it was Harvard that did that study um, through Robert Putnam's um, sociology group. And mm-hmm. I want to say they, they basically found out that if a relationship was started online, it, is, it remains superficial. Mm. But if a relationship was begun in the real world, and then let's say one of you moves away, then the online becomes a tool to keep it going and growing. Just like pen pals of yesteryear and late night phone conversations, these could be things that, that maintain deep and meaningful relationships. I'm sure we all have those where it's like, oh, I saw your Facebook picture of your kids and stuff like that. But the problem is that uh, the vast majority of people are encountering um, their faith online. Like mm-hmm. Maybe they're, they're watching YouTube videos and they're hearing talks or seeing these testimonies and they're growing in their faith. and They're growing intellectually, but they're not growing in the body of Christ, which is where this stuff is meant to be found and nourished. It is in the communion and with the communion of saints that this stuff is meant to be fostered, to be lived, to be to be built up. And so what ends up happening is that vitality, right? Um, there, there's a wonderful Catholic named Frank Sheen. Oh, yeah. And uh, Frank Sheen, yeah, he wrote a ton of awesome books, and I'm just cracking up in his newest, uh, newest one to be called Knowing God. Mm-hmm. And he has this thing where he talks about most Catholics know terms, but they don't know the meaning of terms. Mm-hmm. Until it becomes, he calls it um, a, a mental equivalent. Like, you've got to intellectually struggle and understand what is Trinity and incarnation and, and transubstantiation and communion of saints? He said, but then, even still, that's not enough. The intellect does have to go along to apprehend these things, but then it needs to then bring with it afterwards the emotion, the social life. He calls those vital equivalents. That's where the same power is. That's where we have conversion that is deeper than just an intellectual ascent. It's a whole life ascent. Right. And so um, every relationship with Jesus Christ 
which, you know, a lot of Catholics, oh, that sounds Protestant, that doesn't sound Catholic. Nothing could be further from the truth. When Jesus says in the Last Supper, I no longer call you servants, I now call you friends, yeah. right? For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Christ wants us to know him and to love him, right? You can't love someone you don't have a personal relationship with. But that personal is always within the context of the kingdom, the community that is the church. It's never a me and Jesus, you know, radical individualist shenanigan. Which I think is really about what most Catholics are afraid of when they hear that. Right, exactly, exactly. That's so true. You know, the, the me and Jesus, and, and 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 there is that aspect of it, right? But it's not just, as you said, it's not just the yeah. me and Jesus. It's so much greater. We're a church. We're a family. Absolutely. And you talk about this deep personal encounter relationship with Christ. It doesn't get any deeper and more personal than the Eucharist. Jesus giving us Himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Right? Yeah. Hey, um, you know. Uh, you've been talking about some things that you've you've learned during any time of evangelization. A- a- any other lessons you want to share with our, our listeners if, uh, about evangelization, and maybe some tips how to how to do it well? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, number one, um, it, it's a great line from Saint Anselm or Ambrose to uh, Saint Monica, the mother of Augustine, mm-hmm. where he said, uh, "Talk to God." more about Augustine than you are talking to Augustine about God. Right. I know a lot of your audience might have people who are brothers and sisters and adult children and parents uh, who have less of faith. Um, you know, it's about one out of every six kids baptized in Catholicism actually stays Catholic past the age of 22. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, there's a great hurt there for people who long for their kids. But often what it does is it manifests itself only in forms of moral lecturing. Mm-hmm. Right, so yeah. uh, the the grown daughter moves in with her boyfriend. You know, the son starts. I don't know, voting Democrat. No, mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. But, yeah. uh, you know, like you have these <laughs> things, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, what about our values? What about this? Yeah. What about your faith? And it usually revolves around coming to Sunday mass and and doing something moral. And so, my big advice to people is, they're never going to listen unless they know that you love them first and foremost. Right? Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself, not love your neighbor as far as they're willing to convert. Yep. So it starts with love, always. Yeah, so true is the old saying, right? They they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, and that and that that is so key. That is so key. Um, we have common problems in many of our parishes, Mark. Why don't you talk about a couple of these problems? Oh man, the number one problem in most parishes is shenanigans with the liturgy. Mm. Right, we, mm-hmm. we we turn the liturgy into um, the placing of what I call the iron law of vague sentimentality. Mm-hmm. If something is vaguely emotional, like we we bring in you know whatever it would be, and, and even things that are you know, done around the mass or whatever, um, oftentimes uh, even if they're foreign to the liturgy, we import them because they make it feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I would say, getting back to the heart of the sacrificial self-offering of love of Christ to the Father—that's the center of the mass. And then the next thing that we need to do for evangelizing is from this understanding is pray and fast for those that we want into the church. Mm-hmm. Pray and fast. We always lead with the spiritual life. We don't try to like all, like just add to it. We want to lead with it. Exactly. You know, my, I, I want to well, come back to this after the break. We're going to take a short break. I'm going to come back. We'll talk with more with Mike Gormley, a lay evangelist, about how to evangelize and some of the common problems and what we can do about them. You're listening to Real Presence Live, and we'll be back right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
Lamentations of Pope Benedict XVI, presented by Leonardo De Filippis of St. Luke Productions. What the Magi Learned Going into the house, the Magi saw the child. Outwardly, their journey was now over. But at this point, a new journey began for them, which changed their whole lives. Deep within themselves, they felt prompted to go in search of the true justice that can only come from God, and they wanted to serve this king, to fall prostrate at his feet, and to play their part in the renewal of the world. This was where their inner journey began. It started at the very moment when they knelt down before this child and recognized him as the promised king. But they still had to assimilate these joyful gestures internally. They had to change their ideas about power, about God and about man. And in so doing, they also had to change themselves. They had to learn to give themselves. No lesser gift would be sufficient for this king. But they had to learn that their lives must be conformed to this divine way of exercising power, to God's own way of being. They must become men of truth, of justice, of goodness, of forgiveness, of mercy. They will have to ask, how can I serve God's presence in the world? They must learn to lose their life and in this way to find it. Having left Jerusalem behind, they must not deviate from the path marked out by the true King as they follow Jesus. This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat, and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Real Presence Live. My name is Tim Moser, your host. Rachel's running the board, coming at you from the Fargo Studios between the railroad tracks and the cathedral. We're talking with Mike Gormley, lay evangelist, uh, about uh, some things he's learned as an evangelist. And one of the things we were talking about just before the break, Mike, was uh, some of the common problems in parishes. Why don't you continue along that thought line, please? Yeah, so I, I also think the, the other issues that are plaguing parishes is our understanding of what the sacraments and what grace is and what it does, right? So mm-hmm. um, grace is not magic. So (laughs) we need to kind of understand that um, throwing a kid who has no desire for confirmation and just confirming them and hoping that it sticks is is not good pedagogy. It's not good sacramental practice. Um, So I'm uh, actually shocked a buddy of mine who's uh, a deacon in an uh, unnamed area. Okay. He called (laughs) me up about baptism, called me up about baptism prep, and he said, well, what do you do with all these families who don't practice the faith, but they come for you, come to you for their infant to be baptized. And I said, I do what the church does, and I delay their, and I don't baptize them. He was like, what? I was like, yes. So like, we have, like, we invite them to the class, all this stuff, but if they aren't going to church, the church requires a founding hope that that child, whether it's by the parents, godparents, a neighbor, whatever, will be raised in the faith. And he said, well, what do you do? And I said, this is the difference, right? I can be a jerk and say... Well, sorry, you don't meet the requirements. Get out of here. But what I then do is say, so come with me. My family goes to the 9 o'clock Mass. Come sit with me over by the 
St. Anthony statue on the right side of the church. And I was like, I'd be happy to bring you all to Mass. And you know what? I, I <laughs> Very few people actually take me up on coming mm-hmm. to Mass with my family, mm-hmm. but almost all of them come back to Mass. Mm-hmm. See, this is the problem, is that evangelization is that next step that leads me into an uncomfortable thing, but mm-hmm. it has to break us of what I think is the, probably one of the biggest problems in the Church, which is ecclesial bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many of us feel like, whether it's uh, the diocese or the parish or just the you know the the pastor or, or whoever's in charge of the sacraments they become like these maniacal gatekeepers and one of the biggest complaints I've got since I started uh, my podcast every new stuff out which is all about like people having to go through all these hoops that have nothing to do with the sacrament you know so my big thing is like what has the biggest impact in their lives and do that thing really really well invite parents, when their kids are making their first reconciliation, invite the parents to go to confession. Mm-hmm. I pass out, I don't ask them, hey, would you like this examination of conscience for adults and how to go to confession? I just give it to them. Right. <laughs> because I yeah. want them desperately to come home. Because that's usually the biggest stumbling block. It's been 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and they don't know how to do this. And it's like, hey, guess what? The priests are here hearing your child, so they're going to be totally fine with you coming to confession, too. And so- it does. It unlocks hearts. Yeah, yeah, so so true. Talk with Mike Gormley, and, and, th- and that's exactly what I was going to say, Mark. Locking hearts, moving, you know, from head to heart is is, is so key. And, and too many people, when you talked about knowing about Jesus or knowing Jesus, right, having that relationship, that, that's the key, right? That can be the longest journey, right, to really make it their own. And what a better way. I, I like how you, because when, when you get the kids, right, you, you, you get the parents, and that is so key. And, and I... Um, and, and we need to be bold, right? We need to be appropriate, but we need to be bold. And it, it sounds like that that's what you're doing. I also love the idea of invitation. That is so good, right? Personal invitation. Let's face it. You talk, talk to any marketing group, whatever it is, right? Personal invitation is the key. Of course, you don't always get people. Like you said, they don't always take you up on your invitation to join your family at Mass, but you said they almost always do come back to Mass. So this is invitation and accompaniment, I think, are so, so key because too many of us just put on our time. Okay, I went to Mass on Sunday. That's off the list. I'm not aware of others around me. I'm not aware of what people might want or need and their families are struggling with. I just go home and do my thing. That is so key to invite in a company, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And to me, that's the biggest, that's like the Catholic version of me and Jesus. Mm -hmm. Look, I come to the liturgy, and I'm just here for Mass, and I'm here for the Eucharist. I don't want all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, this other stuff shouldn't be, like, there's all these parish renewal movements that are going on right now. And and there's a lot of good in in them, and there's also a lot of bad. And the, the main thing I would say that's bad is, they, they overburden the Mass. Like, the Mass should be the Mass, and that should be enough. Mm-hmm. But me, as a layperson, coming to Mass, I should come early. I should be prepared. I should be praying before Holy Mass and, you know, trying to receive everything I can. But also, after Mass, and after I've done my prayers, after communion, all that good stuff, I should be on the lookout to invite people into my life, into my home. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the, that's the missing component, right? That's the thing that in the early Church led to its tremendous and astronomical growth, was individual lay people put themselves and their families on the line as they invested in their neighbor, yep. right? And we don't do that. We've absolved ourselves of that responsibility, even though Vatican II, right? Vatican II went to great lengths to identify the nature and vocation of the laity, mm-hmm. to go out into the world and to evangelize. And we went out into the world and we're like, well, the world doesn't like us. So then we did a U-turn, and we became Eucharistic ministers and ushers, <laughs> and, 
You know, because yeah. it's it's warm in here. It's cold out yeah. there, right? Exactly. Yeah, and, and all that stuff is good, and, and prayer and adoration, all these things. But like you said, we need to take it to the streets. We need to take it to them. What Matthew uh, 28, 19, and 20, right? Go to all the world, right? Make disciples, baptize, teach, you know? And he's with us till the end of the age. We don't have to do it alone. The Holy Spirit has sent us. Jesus is with us. Let's go get this done. Let's talk about youth, Mike, because there are some positive things because some youth are really kind of starting to embrace the faith because they're looking for a truth, aren't they? How can we yeah. leverage that? Yeah, well, I think right now the way the church needs to leverage youth ministry mm -hmm. is to not do what we've been doing maybe 20 years ago to maybe 5 or 10 years ago, which was we ape the culture and then do a Christian version of that cultural thing, mm -hmm. but we make it safe and family-friendly and held in a youth room with a pool table. Yeah. Like, the, the, the idea for youth ministry was, you know, let's just, let's just make the high school kids like coming to church. But the, the, the beautiful thing that we're seeing is churches that live distinct from the world, right, whose uh, values, which is getting easier every day to live yeah. values that are distinct <laughs> right. from the world, yeah. right, but, um, but who live it with a radicality and a realism that is tangible, these people are, these churches are attracting young people because, precisely because, they're, they're being countercultural. Mm -hmm. And so if the young people are being chewed up and spit out by these you know, number one, these globalist corporations that do not care about the family, that are funding, that are actively spending hundreds of millions of dollars undermining families. And we throw all these big tech companies and all this stuff, and we throw our money after them, and they don't care about your kids. Well, the kids are realizing, they're waking up and they're realizing, I'm addicted to social media, I'm addicted to my phone, I'm addicted to this thing, and yet when I go to church... It's the one place where I don't need a screen, I don't need a pop-up, I don't need a notification. There's peace here, right? Yeah. I, this is actually the best time. This is the best time, and it's also the most difficult time to be Catholic, because that smartphone in their hands is contributing to anxiety, depression, a sense of being lost, a sense of being bullied 24-7, like, and this disconnection, like we were talking about at the beginning of the hour, about like having these relationships that aren't really secure, there's a lot of hurdles. Like, youth ministry today is nothing, even if you're doing the exact same thing, it's nothing like it was before every teenager had an iPhone, you know? And it's trying to do it is so much more difficult. It is. It is. They don't care. They're bored all the time because they're at mild stimulus all the time. So in that sense, it's harder. But once you offer something countercultural and meaningful, well, I think it becomes easier. So true. Talk with Mike Gormley here, lay evangelist, about uh, all sorts of great things. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. What you say, especially about the youth. You know, they they they're very keen. They 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 understand and they know when they're not being told the truth. You know, they're very keen and aware of that. And like you said, that cell phone again, it can be a great tool, but don't let it rule. You know, you look at take families for instance, right? When I was growing up, yes, it was a long time ago. We had party lines and stuff like that. Look it up on the internet what a party line was. But anyway, the idea that our, what were our influences? It was family, close friends, people at church, close friends at school. And, and, and our, our parents kind of controlled that, if you will. We, you know, we didn't have other opportunities. Now, cell phones make opportunities in this, but Who's raising them? What, 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 who's influencing them? Free access to a smartphone can lead who knows where, right? Right, exactly. And, you know, the, the number of pornographic uh, addictions sure. 
that young people are facing, both boys and girls. The troubling statistics, the FBI kind of tracks this stuff. And it used to be average age of exposure was 13. Now it's 11 to explosive stuff. It just breaks your heart. And um, conversations aren't being had. There's a lot of stuff that we need to... uh, that we need to focus on as a community, as a church. We need to be aware of this stuff. Catholic schools, uh, I'm really big on, um, I have a talk that I give called Deep Parenting in a Digital World. And one of my big points is like, Catholic schools just need to have a rule that if you're in middle school, you you cannot own a smartphone mm-hmm. and come to and be enrolled in our school. You can have a phone, you can have a flip phone. My daughter has a flip yep. phone. Yep. She's a babysitter, you know. Yep. But you don't need anything, anything with social media apps on it. Exactly. That, that just kills your soul. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Mike, we got a couple minutes left. You're actually going to be up in our neck of the woods here, uh, Dickinson, North Dakota, if I remember right, and uh, speaking at, at a banquet in uh, uh, a little while. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that engagement and kind of a general idea of your topic? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm super excited about speaking at the gala. Like, one of the big things that people don't understand is what a wonderful, um, influential thing that having radio that anyone can have access to by the turn of the dial and having access to content that changes lives. And uh, so I've been invited by someone who listens to my podcast uh, to come on up there and to share, like, how to evangelize in this world, right? How to do kind of what we've been talking about as parish, but kind of taking the onus on ourselves as individuals. And one of the big things I tell people all the time is you can't speak the faith if you don't know the faith. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people get flustered in conversations, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, something, you know, topic comes up and, uh, and, and then you come to yelling, shouting, emotions are high. Well, that's also one of the reasons why that happens is because we don't have enough knowledge. Mm-hmm. We just know what the church teaches. Maybe we don't know why. And so having stuff like the great resource of uh, Real Presence Radio and whatnot um, can, only do, uh, can only serve that exact, um, those ends. And that's what I want to do. That's great, Mike. Well, we appreciate that. And, and, and do you know the date of that just off the top of your head? Uh, if you don't, no, that's I fine. Don't because, yeah. I, <laughs> and I don't either. So. It's in November. <laughs> there you go. It, look for it. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll have it up on the website. It's probably already up on the website. So, yeah. But anyway, that's great. Well, Mike, we certainly appreciate your time and, and your, your enthusiasm and energy. And God bless you and your family as you raise you know, a family in this age. And thanks for all your help with others. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for all you're doing. You betcha. That's Mike Gormley, Leah Vance. Let's look for him in November out at Dickinson. When we come back, have you heard of Sister Wilhelmina? Well, we have a guest who's visited her. Yes, and we'll talk to her right after the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live, and we'll be back right after this. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.